You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas. This week, you're listening to episode 171. That seems super high, but then you look at somebody like Joe Rogan, who's got like 1,500 episodes and I have like three to five episodes a week. But I feel like we're doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, if I would have known that we would have gotten here, I would have did like they used to do with your checkbooks. Instead of starting at check 001, I would have started podcast number 1000. So right now we'd be at 1171. I just didn't know better. How you doing today, Jake? Not bad, man. You know, just got my got my butt kicked in jujitsu this morning, like always. I'm so glad that you're doing that. It's, it's for people out there listening. Jake has recently started the BJJ stuff, and it's just such a great workout. And it's a brotherhood, right? You go anywhere in the world, and people welcome you in. And it's especially if you're somebody that has lifted weights for a long time. It's a humbling experience to get on mat with somebody 50 pounds lighter than you that pins you or arm bars <laughs> you or jokes you out. I had Justin coming with me this morning too. Oh, that's awesome! So Justin is the host of Oil and Gas Onshore. Did he have a good time? Yeah, he enjoyed it. He did really well. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to end up having to join y'all. I need to lose a little bit of weight first, but it's a matter of We're, we're slowly trying to convert the whole industry. <laughs> that would be funny. Here. That would be funny if we had all guests BJJ global team. <laughs> that, actually, actually, I'm joking. That's not a bad idea. And people, if I sound a bit different, it's Jake and I are actually doing this remote like we always do, but I'm in uh, Midland, Texas. We're launching the new Permian Perspective podcast uh, this evening. At the same time, we're launching our Midland Happy Hour. So Permian Perspective podcast, grand launch day, the monthly a happy hour just starting today or this evening in Midland, but we'll have one every month. So if you're in that neck of the woods, you're in the Permian, we have an outpost smack in the middle of uh, Midland. It's at the Beer Garden tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be passed, but look for an update every month because we do this happy hour every month here in Midland. And we got a bunch of other cities in the U.S. And, and beyond that we're working on. But it's probably time to get in the news. Before we do that, Jake, let's talk reviews. we got a great one. Great podcast by Dane Elliott from the USA. I'm glad I found the podcast about six months ago. I've been in the industry for 17 years and everything from logistics to inspection and now downhole tools. I appreciate the insight that you guys provide and really enjoy the happy hour. We just talked about that. Keep up the good work. Yeah. So if you want to be like Dane Elliott and get a big shout out on the show, leave us a review. It's the easiest, best way to support the show and to support all our shows. Let's get the news stories, Jake. All right. Starting off, we got kind of a uh, lighthearted one. Apparently there was a dog rescue that was found swimming more than 135 miles from the shore by workers on an oil rig crew in the Gulf of Thailand. I guess it's been returned to safety. Yeah. What's crazy about this, this is a Chevron crew working at work. It's a Chevron rig. And they saw this poor dog. And people that know dogs, this was not a Labrador or a Newfoundland. You know, this was not a dog that has no problem swimming in water. This was like a mutt. And this poor dog, they were lucky that there was no wave action that day. So they actually saw the trail behind the dog. The dog swam to the rig, climbed on the rig because it was exhausted. And they rescued the dog. They brought it to a vet. And now one of the workers has adopted a dog. So it's, it's a great story. But, you know, big shout out to Chevron for their people to be paying attention to the point they saw this poor animal swim up to the rig just glad it worked out well. Yeah, that is so crazy. All right, first real story of the day. So here's the first article from CNBC. Obviously, you got Mad Money Kramer. I was kind of going off a little bit about you know, M&A activity, especially in the oil and gas sector. I mean, he's talking a lot about the public markets and just how we have too many public companies in general, but specifically in the oil and gas industry, kind of the same thing that you and I have both been saying about, you know, we are going to see more consolidation. We're going to see more deals like the Chevron Anadarko deal. And so he kind of dove a little bit into a couple companies that he thought could be potential acquisition targets and a couple different comments around those. So we'll kind of go through. So the companies are Patchy, Concho, Parsley and Pioneer Natural Resources. I leave one out. I think that was it. 
Okay. So obviously Apache is, you know, kind of a lead natural gas and crude oil producer here in the United States. They also have wells in Egypt and the North Sea up near the UK, but they also have a lot of exposure in the Permian, right? So I think everybody on here is a pretty, yeah, all these guys are heavy Permian players. So, but the thing is that he said that the, uh, the stock for Apache has plummeted pretty low, but there still could be some money to be made there, but they just have a lot of debt on the balance sheet. Contra resources. I've heard some things from people that I know that say they're most likely not going to get acquired. I don't think they're really looking for that, but they have a unique position in the Permian Basin as well. And the last two, obviously, Parsley Energy and Pioneer Natural Resources, obviously connected through family ties there, but you know, Parsley is a big company. They've, they've grown a lot in a, what i think to be a relatively short period of time. And they get a $6.6 billion market cap and have some of the best holdings there in the Permian. And the stock is cheap too. So it's selling for about $20 and selling for nine times 2020 earnings. So I think it would make them a really, really great acquisition target. But I think the one that it seems like a lot of signs are pointing towards maybe the first acquisition target would be Pioneer Natural Resources. You know, they recently laid off 650 employees. You had Tim Dove, the former CEO, leave after not, you know, hitting earnings for however many quarters in a row. You had Scott Sheffield, the founder and former CEO, come back and take the reins as CEO. They got great position there in the Permian as well. And I think they'd be a great acquisition target for any of the super majors. Yeah. So Scott, who I actually know, not we're not friends, but I've, I've known him. So Scott, you ought to reach out to Jake and I, because I'm telling you, my prediction right now is ExxonMobil has its crosshairs right on your back, which is actually good for Pioneer. But yeah, I agree with, I can't believe I'm going to say this on the microphone. I agree with Kramer in, this, in these statements. All these companies are ripe for picking up. All have strong holdings in the shell basis, specifically the ExxonMobil sitting on a ton of cash. It just makes sense. And then, you know, we, we talked about this, Jake, in our predictions for November of last year. We said this was going to happen and, you know, it's happening. And, it, and it's a good thing. It's part of the evolution of business. You're going to see more mergers and acquisitions, especially in upstream operators that have holdings on land, not just here in the U.S., but, but around the world. And people that are doing well on the shallow uh, offshore, so off the shelf of Gulf of Mexico, stuff like that. And it's just a normal progression. Anytime you have this sort of stuff happen, there's opportunities for other companies to profit from this in some way or the other. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this, but um, let's let's keep moving. All right, next article, the undeniable signs of a shale slowdown. I mean, this is kind of the same thing that we've been talking about, obviously, with the previous article. And in the last few weeks, really, you know, I think yeah, I just don't, I, I don't think it's sustainable at the current at the current rate that we're going, and the way that companies are currently structured. We've seen Wall Street absolutely tear apart some of the major shale players, especially over the past few months. So, Mark, Mark what are you, what are your, your kind of thoughts on just where we're at now, especially especially like in the the shale boom, right? Especially there in the Permian. What do you think we're at? Do you think we're really going to slow down, or do you think we're just going to keep? Do you think maybe that this is just a hump that we have to kind of have to get over, and that we're gearing up for maybe the second round of the shell revolution. Yeah, so I definitely think we're gearing up, gearing up for the second round of the shell revolution, and there's probably 500 more rev- more levels after that. A couple of things. So you got to be real careful when you talk about a slowdown in drilling activity, and that does not equate a slowdown in production. So even though we're talking about their drilling activity is slowed down, and there's not a lot of capex, there's not the same level of capex being thrown at actually drilling right now. Completions are on the rise and productions on the rise. So we're actually producing more hydrocarbons. We're just not drilling as much. And if you think of the natural progression of that life cycle, you do your exploration, your production, you do your geophysics, you spud a well, you, you drill, the well data comes back as, hey, you're doing what you should be doing. At the right price point, you go to completions, you complete that well, so you go into production, and then you start producing, and you do that over and over and over again, the same way that Toyota builds Camrys. And I think we're at the point, this 
in, in 2019 where we're just companies are focused on production to make money. You lose money when you drill. You make money when you produce. So, you know, the global outlook for the shell geology is enormous. I mean, that shell geology is not just here in the U.S. It's everywhere. We're the leader in being able to tap those hydrocarbons uh, profitably. We've, we've invented the process and the techniques and we figured out just through hard work. The rest of the world will catch up with that. So, you know, right here in the U.S., especially in the, the common shell plays, you could just see production keep going up. Do I think drillings could come back at the level it was before? In some ways, yes, but you can't measure that by the number of drill rigs because now one drill rig doesn't do everything like it used to. You have multiple drill rigs to, that do very specific tasks in there. So, and then you and I have talked about this a million times on the show. The big thing is the ability to properly manage CapEx when you're drilling. And a lot of the small operators, especially with Wall Street money, just don't really get it perfect. This is why you're seeing the influx of the major operators. You can say what you want about Shell and BP and Shell X. They know how to manage dollars, right? So I think we're in the second round of a 500 round Shell boom. And so this will continue to happen. This is just a blip on that on that graph curve. Speaking of Shell boom, the uh, legendary Haynesville Shell in northeastern Texas and Louisiana is now producing uh, 10.5 billion cubic feet per day of natural gas as of this month. And it's expected to produce even more next month, which is allowing them to beat the previous production record of 10.4 billion cubic feet a day from back in 2011. So the Haynesville now currently ranks third in terms of natural gas production after the Appalachian Basin with the Marcellus and Utica shale plays in the Permian region. Yeah, and so what you're going to see, as these LNG plants that we're building, which basically takes natural gas, converts it to liquid so we can move it and sell it, as these LNG plants come online, which we've had several online now, we're actually exporting LNG to many different parts of the world, but at a you know less than 1% of what we actually can do. And so as we build these LNG plants and these export terminals for LNG, you'll see the price of gas inch up. It's never going to be you know a whole bunch of money because we just have so much of it here, but it's going to be the point that it's profitable. And you can see some of these shell plays that right now don't get a lot of attention, get more attention because that's where the natural gas can come from. The other thing that's really interesting, Jake, is there's a company called Meridian out there that actually has flipped the downstream part of the industry on its head. So conventional downstream is you build a large very complex refinery, and you move the hydrocarbons to it. Most of those refiners in the Gulf Coast, most of the oil that we need from the U.S. is from all the different shell basins, so we build pipelines to move it. And what the Davis refinery in North Dakota did is flip that upside down, and they built the refinery where the hydrocarbons are in North Dakota. They're getting ready to start another one in the Permian. That's going to turn everything around. And I think as that model takes off, because they're very specific, they don't need to worry about infrastructure. They don't have to pay for pipeline transportation. They buy the natural gas and crude oil ahead of time from the operators and build the refinery right there smack in the middle of where all this is. I think you can see natural gas prices inch up higher because now there's another way to get that stuff to market. So let's keep an eye on this. It's um, Natural gas really is the fuel of the future. I could spend an hour talking about why I think that is. I think eventually we'll start doing some molecular manipulation with natural gas, which we do already, and we'll start producing hydrogen, which I think is ultimately a fuel that we're going to use down the road. But, you know, things like ammonia, right? 70% of the world's fed with fertilizer made from ammonia from natural gas. You can't just get rid of that. And as the world's population grows, which is, is expected to do, we're going to need more and more of that. So natural gas is a place to keep your eye on. I know it's the price is really low now, but if we look at it over, say, a 50-year graph, I think this is just a low blip in the radar. You can see a slow, steady climb moving up for the next 50 years. Exxon has made another discovery in their new oil hotspot. So they've made their 13th oil discovery on the offshore of South America, Guyana. That's off the coast of South America? For some reason, I was thinking that was Africa. That's, you got to be careful we don't pronounce it the wrong way. Yeah, so there's – now, audience, we need you to chip in. I need somebody that knows geology – I mean, not geology – that knows geography. Guyana is off of Africa, and Guyana is off South America, if I think I'm correct. 
So, okay, so we're going to have to do a little, a little lesson real quick in geography. <laughs> I'm mapping this out really quickly. So this one is definitely in South America. But, there, but isn't there, there is another one off the coast of Africa, right? Yeah, they're almost spelled identically. Okay. But there's two totally different countries and off two totally different continents. Wow. Okay. Well, the more you know. It gets okay. confusing, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. For some reason, I was thinking this was in Africa the entire time. Anyways, so they've striked oil at the Yellowtail Well, which adds to the estimated recoverable resource of the uh, Stabrook block of some 5.5 billion oil equivalent barrels. So the oil discovery at Yellowtail 1 is the fifth discovery in the Turbot area offshore Guyana, which ExxonMobil expects to be a major development hub. I mean, we, we keep seeing a lot of news. They're dumping a lot of money into this area. And obviously, they're having just massive, massive success. And we're seeing a lot of other large companies kind of looking in some of the same areas, not only off the coast of South America, but obviously, there's a lot of offshore activity off the coast of Africa as well. Yeah. Exxon has been freaking knocking out the park. I mean, they always have. That's one of Exxon's core competencies is their geophysical ability to locate hydrocarbons and reserves all over the world, or hydrocarbon reserves, I should say. But they have just been knocking out the part. They, I don't know what the number is. We are, probably should look it up. But but you know, Wall Street rewards public oil and gas companies that have more barrels or equivalent under reserve than they're actually producing because that's their future feedstock. And Exxon's just been killing it. So I hope they continue to kill it because this is awesome. This is awesome for, for, for the country, right? The, this is prosperity and jobs for a country that is historically – you know, not very well off. So all good stuff. Yeah. I think with this one, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was either the country itself or one of the the national oil companies there in uh, Guyana actually owns like 35 or 40% of, you know, this, this block there in Guyana. Yeah. And, and that's tends to be what happened with the nationalized oil companies is they'll broker a deal. They don't have the, the CapEx or the technical expertise to get the hydrocarbons out of the ground. So they'll broker a deal with one of the majors or super majors that come in with the experts, the engineers and the money, and then they split the profits. The problem is when you take that model too far, like Brazil did originally, the, although Brazil's backpedaled before, where basically you say that the other companies can have no ownership and that the state-owned oil company owns all the hydrocarbons no matter what you do, and then you get a lessening of investment and technical expertise. See the same thing happened in Mexico with Pomex, and both of those countries have suffered from that. Both those countries never hit their production goals because internally they just don't have the expertise or the CapEx, and so both of those countries have figured out they need to kind of backpedal and go back to more of an even partnering so that the large you know, European and oil and gas super majors can come in and help them. But, but this is all good because even in this situation where Exxon's partnering with the local knock, Exxon's people are still doing knowledge transfer, either intentionally or unintentionally, to help train other people to understand how to operate effectively and environmentally responsibly. So it's just it's just good for everybody. Well, I just pulled the article up again. I'm looking at the production numbers, and they said by 2025, their target is on that on the the Stebrick block is to produce 750 thousand barrels per day. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> When you look at a lot of stuff, it goes on the shell basins. But for the for an offshore discovery, that's actually not an enormous number. I just think about flowing that much oil, man. That's insane. Think about having to move it, right? You're not sitting someplace on land where you can, you know, these are subsea pipelines or, you know, a bunch of uh, terminals being built that can offload to vessels. I mean, it's the infrastructure part is very interesting. On our list of future podcasts is is oil and gas midstream. Any companies out there that would like to talk to me about sponsoring that show before we launch it, let me know. But that part of the industry is very underrated and it's very fascinating. You look at that Jake's, Jack St. Mal project that Chevron did in the Gulf of Mexico. They were geniuses. They started building that subsea pipeline. I thought they built it for themselves. No, they don't hardly use much of it for their own shipping of their own hydrocarbons. They sell access to it to their competitors. 
because they're the only game in town. It's just it's just awesome. So that that show's coming down the road. Just probably another year before we get there. But uh, these are some big production numbers that once again will help that country's uh, population. Russia has failed to speed up production cuts, so they were actually no. I know, I know. You don't say. They were actually slated to have the largest production cuts out of everybody. I guess in the last OPEC meeting, whenever they all agreed to kind of slow production down a little bit. So they had pledged to reduce production by 230,000 barrels per day. But they're saying due to weather and geological conditions in the cold Russian winter, they just cannot cut production so quickly. Which, you know, I think that does make sense, whether it's the truth or not. I think it potentially, I mean, it's a good alibi. You know, we've even seen in Oklahoma where our wells are at, you know, it gets cold through the winter. It's like nothing got done, like at all. Well, it's like that in North Dakota. I mean, they literally can't work for three months of the year. And so you have to do everything in a a nine-month window, you know, same way here. Now, the one thing interesting about this is both Russia and OPEC do this thing that aggravates the crap out of me because I cannot keep track of the actual numbers, is basically if they decide to do production cuts, before they do cuts, they ramp up production, and then they'll do cuts on that fake ramped-up number, and then they're back to where they were before, but they get to say they're doing production cuts. And it's hard to really keep track of the global consumption versus global production when you fudge the arithmetic like that. And it'd be one thing if it's just Russia, but it's all the OPEC countries and Russia, and, and actually a lot of other countries out there that produce hydrocarbons do this, which makes our estimating of where we think crude prices could be harder. But yes, it's uh, Russia and OPEC's happy little marriage there where they're they're controlling uh, production so they control prices has always had signs of a divorce coming in and i think this is just another you know i think just is another sign that they're not going to be walking down the same path together like they have been for the last couple of years so this this nice article is kind of funny so it's titled can big oil win back the younger generations and so recently there was a bloomberg headline that many thought because it came out around april fools that it was probably an april fools joke but the headline said namaste oil drillers yoga mats debut at texas industry meeting and so this is actually talking about the uh doug Permian basin conference and so they threw in a whole bunch of uh, yoga classes in the in the morning before the sessions of the conference to kind of cater to you know more of a younger generation you know i think it's cool you know and I, we're going to see more more and more stuff like this you know i don't think uh, we're going to see a whole bunch of uh, rig hands out doing yoga and stuff but you know, it's good. Times are changing and they'll continue to change. Yeah. So, so this is interesting. So if you read the article, one of the things they talk about, this is heart, this is heart energy's idea is that we need to change the perception of our industry to the rest of the world, which, which, you know, if you've listened to me and Jake for I've been saying this forever, that we, we need to own that problem. It's our fault that the rest of the world doesn't appreciate what we do. That it's our fault. The rest of the world doesn't see that we bring prosperity everywhere we go, that modern civilization could not exist without our industry. But Heart's Energy's idea to help facilitate that change in a perception by doing yoga at an oil and gas conference, I'm, I'm not real sure that's going to make a, a big difference. It is interesting to see things, Jake. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but I've watched for the last, say, seven to 10 years where large oil and gas companies try to model Silicon Valley with the whole open office, um, collaborative spaces, you know, that sort of thing, because they think that's a better work environment for their employees. And what I'm starting to see now in the last year or two is the backlash from that, where people can't get work done. There's, they're in an open environment. They can't take conference calls, and they're starting to want to go back to having individual offices. So I just, you know, our industry is different than any industry out there. And I could spend a day talking to you why our industry is different. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And, I'm, and I agree with you. I just don't know about having 
you know, some, you know, out, some technician or some roughneck out there doing yoga or even talking about yoga, if that really makes a difference in the public perception, I, I will give heart energy credit though. That is something really, really outside the box. I would have never thought we would have ever seen. So hats off to them for being innovative. Yeah. I think it's not so much, you know, targeting people who are already in the industry, but it's trying to show that the industry can potentially change and hopefully attract maybe a younger crowd. You know, I know a whole lot of people in the industry who do yoga, mostly women, but you know, there's some guys too. So have you ever done it? I have. I don't necessarily enjoy it. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. I've done it. It's hard. And and to me, yeah, it's please, very hard, actually. Yeah, please don't hate me. I, I totally respect it. And I, I love yoga. But to me, it's almost like a waste of a workout, like that same amount of energy and pain and sweat. I could have went and hit the weights and I think I would have gotten a better return on that investment. But once again, that's me. I realize that everybody's a little bit different. But, you know, that is a good point, Jake. It's uh, now that now that you say it that way. You know, how many more young women might take a look at coming to work in our industry if they know we do stuff like yoga? And I'm not being sex, I'm being serious. You know, this new workforce, we're in battle. We're we're in competition for this talent pool with things like Silicon Valley and medical and legal and you know, all and tech and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, maybe this isn't a, such a silly thing to do. Yeah. Last article of the day is actually kind of cool because we have actually talked with the guys over at Nash. So Equinor is setting their sights on natural language processing with startup Nash. So they've announced that they've invested in Nash, which is a it's almost, I guess the best way to put it is it's like a Siri or a Cortana or any other kind of, I don't know, what's the Amazon one called? Echo. Is it called? Echo. Yep. Echo? You just call yeah, it Echo? Echo. That's what it's yep. called? Okay. So it's like that, but for the oil field. So users can simply ask technical questions in a conversational way and receive answers from Nash itself. And so it's, it's a really, really cool technology. We actually talked with... We actually talked with Sid Gupta, who's their CEO on the Startups Podcast. Uh, couple weeks ago, but it hasn't came out yet. So it was a great conversation. It's really, really cool. It's something that I honestly, if you would ask me a few years ago, if I, if we would see something like this take off in oil and gas, I would say there's never a chance. But I think with them getting good backers with companies like Equinor, who are a great early adopters are trying a lot of new technology, and then a couple other investors in the space, I think it's really, really cool. And there's a lot of really, really cool things that you can do with that. And it's, it's, I think it's pretty awesome to see they've kind of overcame some of the technical hurdles of, you know, how do you translate? You can say one thing, but it can mean, you know, five or six different things, right? And so how do you kind of train that to to know exactly what you're talking about? And it's very, 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 very hard to do. It sounds like it's easy. It is really hard to do. And it's interesting, Jake. So there's a bunch of activity around this. This is really cool that Equinor did this. And Equinor is doing this to help speed up their ability to get to production with a less than ideal workforce, which makes perfect sense. If you can talk to the machine, the machine can understand you, then that's so much quicker than actually have somebody write code, right? The other thing that's interesting, there's a little company called Alterex, big shout out to uh, Sean uh, Heiberg. They sponsored me going to speak somewhere just recently. They do the same thing, but they do it with optical character recognition. And that sounds old fashioned, Jake, they can literally read a master service agreement and understand it. Or they can read a lease plot and understand it. the machine can understand it completely. And if it doesn't understand it, the machine comes back to you and says, explain to me what this indemnification clause means. Then once you explain it to it, the machine then understands that and it doesn't bother you again. So this is this is just the future of not just oil and gas of, of, of our planet, of, of what we're doing. And it's really, it's a fascinating quandary for me. So I have a son, I have a 14-year-old son. 
And I have to think sometimes, what do I teach him in the future? Because my generation grew up memorizing knowledge, right? You learn stuff that other people took data, took facts, put it together way, and it made sense. That was called knowledge. It was documented somewhere, usually in a book, and you read it and memorized it. So that's why I know the law of thermodynamics, right? Whereas my son, does he need to spend all that time doing it? Or can he just ask Siri, hey, what are the three laws of thermodynamics? I mean, this is a fundamental change to our society for the better. And it's really cool that Equinor sees that and they're actually doing this. I do like the fact that instead of working with Nash, they just bought them. <laughs> That's our industry. It's like, hey, we like that. We'll buy you. <laughs> yeah. And this is actually the second investment we've seen in kind of like a, I guess, kind of like chatbot type technology. So BP actually announced they put $5 million into development of a seismic focused chatbot technology uh, created by Belmont Technology. I think it was earlier this year or end of last year. So a lot of movement in that. And I think you'll see more and more of software companies in this space adopting kind of the the audio component or the voice component to their to their existing systems. Yeah. So if you think about it, what you're doing is removing the keyboard and the mouse. That's enormous. Yeah, I mean, the thing with UI and, and user experience and stuff, whenever you're creating that, is he's thinking, you know, how much can you do with the least amount of clicks? And with your voice, you don't have to click at all. And so you can ask it pretty much you know, a declarative statement and, and get the exact the information that you want. All cool stuff. Speaking of cool stuff, it's time for our weekly giveaway. Folks, this is awesome. We have had an overwhelming demand for this thing. It's actually really cool to look at the people that are coming in. We give away one a week. It's a t-shirt. It has a pump jack model on the front. It has OGG and logo on one sleeve. IBM thinks those guys are sponsoring the show on the other sleeve. But the big thing is they're uniquely serialized so they each have a unique number and these aren't cheap shirts we we combed the earth we found the best quality shirts for both men and women so they're cut for men and women uh, go t- uh, to the show it's register. we give away one lucky winner a week but that unique serial number is very valuable because down the road jake and i will go on the microphone and we're gonna do something like hey serial number seven seven two four you have just won an all expense paid trip to come to record with jake and i in miami florida or something like that so folks go get the shirt it's really cool it makes you stand out among all the, all the other oil and gas podcast listeners because you have the oil and gas this week ibm shirt at the same time it allows you to win stuff in the future and it's actually a really good looking shirt we're in count jake what's the rig count doing we are at do 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 1048 rigs so pretty much we were at 1057 last week so we're down just just a few so we lost nine yeah yeah good good number Events on deck. Hey, you've heard me talk about the street team. Julie finally put a tool together where you don't have to actually bug Julie about the street team. If you want to play a part, this is our global volunteer organization that is like family for us. We ask for a one-hour commitment a week of, of you volunteering, and, and basically you're helping us write social media copy for the most part. If you can't do that one-hour week, it's fine. We know that jobs, dogs, significant others gets in the way. We won't hold you to it. We just ask you to try. Basically, go to the show. It's click on the, the street team link there. You sign up. You get to read and learn more about it and then what we'll do is we'll reach out to you when we need a little bit of help somewhere and you also get to come with us as part of our press team when we're going to conferences in your geographic area plus there's a bunch of cool swag coming out so go sign up for the street team and then we talked about the launch party for the permian perspective by the time you hear this that will be over but the monthly middle and happy hour is continuing every month there's a link in this show notes and we have our monthly houston happy hour which is last tuesday every month at houston we'll put those links in the show notes as well go check them out it's really we really had some high quality turnout some great conversations and uh, we've had a lot of actually very senior people stroll through our happy hours like that looks like 
is that, yeah, that's him, you know? And so, the, you know, the world is changing oil and gas. This new younger workforce does things differently. And we're trying to accommodate that with these happy hours. And then Jake and I are going to be at the Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico, IPANM, speaking on July 24th and 26th. We're bringing a live podcast there. We're bringing this podcast there. And we're doing a keynote. Jake and I still don't know what we're talking about yet, <laughs> but, but it's going to be really good. <laughs> and then if you want to learn about this stuff and more, uh, sign up for our monthly oil and gas events newsletter. Links in the show notes. We don't spam you. And then if you'd like Jake and I to come out like uh, IPANM is doing, just reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk to you. And, and it doesn't have to be an oil and gas association. It could be your sales and marketing organization. It could be your young professionals group. It could be your gym or or even a BJJ. We, Jake and I will come roll with y'all while we talk to you. <laughs> and then if you, <laughs> I would like to see that actually, it'd be all a bunch of us out of breath. You wouldn't be able to understand what we're saying. And then if you do go check out the website, oilandgasweek.com, give us your email address. We won't spam you in this way. We can alert you about stuff. LinkedIn group, go sign up there. It's growing. We're over 2,000 members. Whew, speaking of out of breath, that's a lot. Anything else you want to add, Jake? That's it, man. All right, let's get out of here. So folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.